You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Speaking truth, and I want you to make a change on your worship guide. It's not speaking truth and love to others. Just take that word and. If you don't mind, scratch it out. We'll we'll get it right next week. But I want you to get it right because it has so much to do with what I'm going to say. Speaking truth in love to others. Speak life. This is a new sermon series this morning. And we're talking about being for hot springs. And, and, and Jesus did such an amazing job with that video. And so much of what Jesus said, the narrative, the narrative behind the 45-second video is something I think we need to hear several times over the next four months. So I want you to listen to it again. And I want you to see... After I finish preaching, how it ties into the message. 45 seconds, our promo video for the next four months. What is our church known for? Many people in Hot Springs are more familiar with what our church is against rather than what we are for. It is impossible to reach people who don't like us, let alone know us. That is why in order to grow our community, we must be for them. Caring for their well-being, fighting for their needs, reaching for their hearts. In the next four months, we are going to be showing our hearts to the community of Hot Springs by partnering with local organizations that heal the brokenhearted and help those in need. But we can't do it without you. You are the church. The community needs you to let them know that you are for them. We are for Hot Springs. All right, so now I want you to turn to Philemon, and what I'm going to do is read the, the letter to you this morning. I want to read it to you. I want you to take some time with me, and let's, since we're spending three weeks in this little letter, we're going to focus on uh, through verse 7 this morning, but I want you to hear the whole letter, and I think the context of the letter will even help us understand what I want to talk to you about today. All right, so you ready? Pay, pay attention. God says he honors the reading of his word. So let's, let's trust that'll happen this morning. Paul, a prisoner for Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and to Phia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Because I hear of your love and of your faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though... I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you. You and to me. I'm sending him back to you. And I'm sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be my compulsion but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while... That you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant. But more than a bondservant. As a beloved brother. Especially to me. But how much more to you. Both in the flesh and and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner. Receive him as you would receive me. If he's wronged you at all or owes you anything. Charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, to say, to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. 
At the same time, prepare a guest room for me. For I'm hoping that through your prayers, I'll be graciously, graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, sends greetings to you, as well as Mark and Aristocrus, Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you and be with your spirit. Wow, what a great book. The letter of Philemon. Little background here. The author of this letter is Paul. The date of the writing of this letter is approximately A.D. 58 through 60. Christ has already been raised from the dead for about 30 years. And the place of the writing, as you probably noticed because we read the entire letter, was in prison. Paul says four different times in this short letter, in verses number 1, 9, 10, and 13... He mentions his imprisonment. He's, he, he wants everybody to know, or he definitely wanted Philemon to know, that the circumstances for which he was writing this letter was not good. It was he was in prison. The recipient of the letter is a man by the name of Philemon. Philemon is a sincere follower of Jesus Christ. At this time of this writing, he's living in Asia Minor. And Philemon is, uh, the subject of the letter of the book of Philemon is Onesimus. Onesimus is a runaway slave. By no means does the Bible uh, condone slavery. In fact, quite the contrary. It is just simply that the context of that day, this would have been understood. And now here's the story that we can piece together from Philemon and from some of the things that we read in the book of Acts about Philemon and about Paul and Onesimus. First of all, Onesimus obviously did something wrong. Caused him to run to Rome. And he found himself in Rome. Whether it was that he did Philemon wrong and actually stole from Philemon. Or he did something wrong and robbed or create, uh, made, did some kind of crime that he had to get away and hide. We're not exactly sure how that all played out. But we do know that he was in Rome and he got arrested. When he got arrested, he got placed in prison. And wouldn't you guess who he was placed next to? As he was locked up in stocks, next to him was the Apostle Paul. How long do you think it took Paul to actually introduce himself and present the gospel to Onesimus? My prediction, 7.2 seconds. He looks over at Onesimus, begins to witness to him there in that prison. And he gives him the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Onesimus turns to Christ as a Savior, becomes a brother in Christ and a son in the gospel to the Apostle Paul. As they begin to disciple, as Paul begins to disciple Onesimus and teach him the scriptures, somewhere along the line, the name Philemon popped up. And as Onesimus began to talk about this old master that he had and some of the conditions that he uh, was under now that he had run away and the reputation tarnished and Philemon not so fond of Onesimus, Paul quickly says... I know that guy. Are you talking about Philemon? Uh, uh, and he, he identifies who he was. They, they knew the same person. He says, my, I know that. He said, you guys have got to get back together. We've got to work this thing out. And Onesimus says, oh, you have no idea. This isn't going to work. I mean, my boss is not happy with me at all. And he would not want to talk to me or see me ever again. Paul says, I don't think so. He, I led Philemon to Christ too. He's one of my sons in the ministry. And you're now one of my sons. And he said, I want you guys to get together and work this thing out. And so he writes this letter. And Onesimus, when he gets out of jail, brings the letter to Philemon. And so here we are. We don't learn much, honestly, from Onesimus. I don't have a lot to say in the next three weeks about Onesimus. To be honest with you, I really don't have a lot to say about Philemon. We don't really learn much from him. The person who we're going to learn a ton from is the apostle Paul. His teaching here ultimately is going to bring all of us in this building to a place of decision. A decision as to the type of person we desire to be. I have great concern for the church today. Not just our church, although mostly our church, but just the body of Christ everywhere. Man, I must say that negativity abounds. Not just pessimism, just negativity. A spirit that seems to be 
permeating throughout Christendom these days to where, to be honest, it is really hard to find people who speak life, who are positive, who see things differently than the vast majority of people, even followers of Jesus Christ. So the choice is this. Do I want to be a critical, negative, fault-finding, harsh, pulling people down kind of person? Or, and Paul is the opposite of this, and he's our example, he is our goal as far as in, in, in this particular series. And Paul even said, follow me as I follow Christ. So I feel as if his goal could very easily be our goal, and that is to be a fired up, positive person who tries to see the good in everything and who cheers others on to be the person that God wants them to be. Someone who speaks life and faith and confidence and gives a vision of someone being able to do something more. That's what Four Hot Springs is all about. When the narrative is spoken that the church is oftentimes known more for what she's against than what she's for, I think there's something to that. It's not just coming from the pulpit, but it's coming oftentimes from the pew. It's coming out in the community. It's as if people are getting this skewed version of what being a Christian is. Is it really all that good? Is it really any different? I mean, you know, it, it seems like we, we talk about the same uh, things and the trash and the negativity and we use the same language and we, we seem to want to fit into the point that maybe it's really not that we're fitting in. It's just this is who we are. We're just the people who have a hard time speaking life. So Paul is writing here to confront Philemon. He's going to speak the truth to Philemon, but he's going to do it in love. But before he even speaks a challenging word to Philemon, he is going to find some things that are positive, that are good, that are encouraging. And so I want to start with three principles that are here in God's word that challenge us in this first message this morning of three messages that challenge us to see the good in people. What does that look like? And what does that look like in this letter That Paul wrote to Philemon on behalf of Onesimus. Well, let's just jump right into the book, shall we? First of all, I want to give you this first thought. It's on the screen. Then I'm going to draw your attention to verse number four. And here it is. The first principle. The first challenge. Here it is. Be thankful for every person and every circumstance in your life. Here it is in verse four. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Now, let's not forget the context of this message. Where is Paul right now? He's in prison. He's been falsely accused. He's been falsely condemned. He's been thrown into prison for doing what is right. And Paul leads this guy to Christ beside him. And then he writes a letter of encouragement on his behalf. And he starts the whole letter by saying, I'm thankful. Now, it might be good for all of us right now to identify the stuff in our life that we're struggling with and then just take a moment and maybe compare it to what Paul was involved in. Stuck in prison. Picture in your mind for just a moment the conditions of that prison, which were awful. He's in chains. He's done nothing wrong. Maybe a rat in the stench in that prison. Picture all of that in your mind. Here is a person who says, I'm not going to let the circumstance get me down. I'm going to be thankful for the goodness of God regardless of the circumstances. There is a principle here and throughout all of Scripture, and that is thankfulness is a choice. This sermon will not make it for you. It won't. To be honest with you, the fruit of my preaching in this area has probably been rather weak. I don't know how much fruit is being produced with a message that is saying, let's look for the good. Let's see the good. Let's quit identifying the negative even in sinners because lest we forget we're all sinners. Gratitude is the attitude that sets the altitude for living. And that's why we live in such low places. That's why there's so much uh, depression and discouragement. And that's why kids are, are taking their lives or attempting suicide at a rate that is, that is startling. Why? 
because they're living down here. They're not living up here because there has not been life spoken into them in a long time. So you're a thankful person. And are you thankful for your situation, whatever it is? Remember now, Paul was in prison. Where are you and what are you going through? So it's really, really good to see Scott and Christy back in church. But last week, they just got back. They attended the funeral of Scott's first cousin in Washington. And Rachel passed away, 32, three years of age. Um, two really young children. Husband's name's Michael. And so the, the moment before she passed, I mean, she was going to die. We didn't know it at the time. And we did know she was going to pass within in the next 10 to 20 minutes. I mean, it was, you know, you're listening for the breaths that are getting farther and farther apart. That was the moment they were in. And so I'm, I'm in my office and I get this text from Scott and he just says, they're, they're saying she is just about to pass. He goes, here's what's happening right now. So I press on the picture and the video comes on and it's about 30 people stuffed into a small hospital room and you can see Rachel there bloated up from the drugs and all the medicines. Doesn't look anything like a 32-year-old beautiful woman that she was and now is, praise God. But she was laying in that room and around her were 30 people. There was a guy just on the guitar playing it with passion And they were singing, oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I didn't earn it, I don't deserve it. And I'm thinking as they're singing passion. I mean, it was coming over my phone and I was thinking as it was, and it was loud. It wasn't like a whisper. It was awesome. And I'm thinking in that moment, though it was sorrowful, though the circumstances were not the best, though this may have been actually worse than being in prison, this was a very sad moment. But there were people who in the midst of circumstances said, I'm thankful. You see, a believer in Jesus Christ should be the most thankful person on the face of the earth. Thankful for every person in your life. Thankful for every circumstance We must learn to say the words, God is using this. He's using this. Whatever it is, God is using this. I don't know why God is using this. He is eternal. He is sovereign. And I trust him. God is going to use it. So I see every person or circumstance As God coming to me through that person or circumstance to make me more like his son, Jesus Christ. Every person, every circumstance, God is in the middle of that. Why? Because he wants to make me more like his son, Jesus. Now, here's the problem with that statement. There's a word in there that we don't like. It's a word that, to be honest with you, is the hardest word in that statement. Anybody want to guess what it is? The word every. You see, what we want on is we want to be on the some program. I mean, it's a good statement, preacher. I like it. Can we change every to some? I could deal with some. See, some people and some circumstances, says God. Not every. We need to get off the some program and get on the every program. Because I want you to know, we, we, are, we are going to experience things Every single day of our lives, harsh words, negative people, harsh responses, hurtful people, disappointment. And I need to see all of those things as God coming to me. God is using those things. These are building blocks of Christian character in my life. God is at work in the ugly to make something beautiful. God is at work in the painful to bring about something good. God is at work in all the wrong in my life to bring about something right. God is at work in the bad to bring about the good. So I have a question for you this morning. Do you have that sense that God is working in all situations? What's interesting is you find this throughout Scripture in nearly everybody's life. The question is just what, 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 what road are they going to take? What attitude are they going to have? You've got... 
somebody like Joseph, who we talked about a few weeks ago, and and Joseph was someone who was abused and and falsely accused and almost killed and, and sold into slavery and all of these awful things that he did not deserve, and yet... Here he comes at the end of his life and his brothers are begging for their life. And he's like, guys, it's all good. It's all good. I love you like crazy. I mean, look, you're my brothers. And they can't quite understand why he would feel that way. But he says it's it's because God was at work. God was doing all this for a purpose. And then you've got David and Saul. The insanity of that story. It's been my Bible reading for the past week. It's a long narrative in scripture. It's like this dude is, is just awesome. I mean, David, all the things he, he's doing for Saul. I mean, doing what Saul should be doing and, and not taking any credit for it. And, 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 and Saul's trying to kill David. And yet David is trying to save Saul's life. I mean, there are so many things about that story that just simply don't make sense. And yet David continued to love Saul and honor Saul. Even in Saul's death, David honored him. And and we see how God used all of that in David's life as he became the king. And then there's Job. Tornado comes, crashes on the house. He and Mrs. Job are out shopping for groceries. They come home. And the coroner is there. The coroner announces all ten children are dead. Four days later, Job attends the funeral of his ten children. So he's sitting on the front row of church with ten caskets in front of him. His children are gone. His wife, after it all sinks in, she's supporting him up until a few days after the funeral. And she looks at him and says, you're a real jerk. Curse God and die. I'm out of here. I want a divorce. So she leaves him. He's got a few friends, he thought, and those friends are all telling him what you've heard sometimes from your so-called friends, and that is this. Let me tell you why you're going through this. Let me tell you why you're going. Let me tell you what's wrong with you. And so, pretty tough circumstance. And yet here was Job's response in Job chapter 23, verse 10. But he knows the way that I take, that when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. I mean, this is all going to be good. I'm going to come forth better than I ever was. I was trying to think of some situations in my life here this past week, and it wasn't hard. I mean, it doesn't doesn't take living but 24 hours to identify a difficult situation in your life. This past couple of weeks have been tough on me because we... We realized that Team Revolution um, in, that we've been hosting for six years in Tennessee was just not getting traction 11 hours away from home. It was so hard. And then we transitioned into the Southern Baptist Convention, and it becomes increasingly hard to grow a conference where the Southern Baptists are very healthy in Tennessee, and they're hosting youth conferences with upwards towards three to 5,000 people, and we're 11 hours away, and we're in Arkansas, and we're no longer really attracting the small churches from all over the place like we used to. And so we thought, well, as hard as it is, I called 25 churches, and I told all 25 churches we're canceling Teen Revolution. Some of them were devastated, others understood, but it was tough. To say goodbye to a dream, a vision of something you thought would really impact the nation, and it did, sort of, but it's over. And so we thought about shelving the conference and realizing it served its purpose and and, and try to see the positive in that. But then, as I sat alone, kind of weeping over the results of that decision, I, I thought, well, maybe I should call the state headquarters of the Southern Baptist Convention. I mean, it won't hurt. And so I called Greg Addison, the assistant director, to Sonny Tucker, the executive director, and I just said, look, Greg, I don't know if this is going to go anywhere, but listen, we hosted this youth conference, and it did pretty well, and it's, it's a pretty good thing, we think, but hey, look, it may not work, and I just thought I'd call and see if we could get an audience. If not, that's fine. You guys got so much going on. I mean, it's amazing what God is doing in Arkansas. We're just glad to be a part, and we're not asking for anything. We're just wanting to know maybe if you guys would like to kind of see what we were doing. And Greg said, sure, let me get the team together. And so he did. He got Sonny Tucker, the executive director himself, and some of the youth leaders all across the state that work with the state of Arkansas. And he put him in this room. And we got a time Thursday at 1.30 to be there. And we drove up, seven of us, and wrapped around that table. And 
Jesus prepared a video that had some of us weeping as we watched, you know, some of what Team Revolution has done, some of the testimonies. It was just powerful. We presented our vision, what it was all about, and then we just stopped and kind of waited to hear what kind of response we would have. And honestly, we didn't know what we would hear. And to make a long story short, Sonny Tucker at one point had his hands in his face and he said, I knew this would be good, but I didn't know it would be this good. He said, guys, this is powerful. Then he, he wrote this number on this board, 800,000. And I thought, what, what, what is 800,000? And he said, that, that's everybody in Arkansas, 18 years and younger, 800,000 people. And he said, here's who we're reaching in the summertime. And he wrote this, these words, Camp Siloam. Maybe you've heard of it. And then he wrote next to that 5,000. And then he wrote Camp Perrin, which is another camp the Southern Baptist owned, and he wrote 3,000. Then he wrote Super Summer, which is a camp at Washington Baptist University, and he wrote 3,000. And he said, so we're, we're reaching in the summertime right now 11,000 of 800,000 teens, uh, young people. He said, we need Teen Revolution. And he just proceeded to share vision, and then he sent me this yesterday. thought I'd share it with you. Nobody's really read this yet. Eric, thanks again for coming over to the office and bringing your incredible staff. What an amazing, talented group of young men. I'm going to get back to you next week with some ideas. I'm excited about Team Revolution. Praying for gospel like tomorrow. I love you. And I thought, God, thank you. Man, I was so discouraged about and trying to see the good and why God would allow that to happen. And yet God said, oh, no, no, hang on. It's going to get better. It's going to get been thinking this week about growing older i'm 54 years old and i'm trying to help all of us who are getting older because i sense that as we get older sometimes it's really hard to see what good can come out of this especially after somebody preaches like mo or scott and then some of you yahoos say you better not stay gone too long you might lose your job you know who you are i'm just kidding What do I do with that? I mean, honestly, what, what, do you, what do you do with when you're the oldest guy on staff except for Ken Wagner? I always say except for Ken Wagner. I always say that because he's like really old. <laughs> By the way, Ken's never been mad at me a day in his life, so I can say that <laughs> until today. Anyway, and, uh, but, but Ken, Ken and I are old and, and, and getting older and all these guys are young. I mean, I sit around the staff table and it's like, you know. 24, 25, 28, 32, 34. I think the oldest guy's like 37. And I think, man, whew, how am I going to look at this? I mean, I realize that I'm getting older, that that, 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 that pulpit is not going to be in my life as long as it has been already. I don't want to outstay my effectiveness. I'm not insinuating retirement anytime soon, but I realize that I'm beginning to understand that getting older means change. It's good. My life is changing. My role is changing. My influence will change. My, my abilities are not as good. I, don't, I, don't, I may not be the best or the, the strongest or the most profound. There may come a day when, when I don't have all of what I have. Is that, what do I do with that? Do I, do I, do I get angry and bitter and, and, and harsh and, and I can't believe this and I'm jealous and, and I'm Saul and you're David and, and, and you know what? I, uh, you know, I, 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 I need to protect my little throne or do I say, you know, I, I need, I need you to preach a few more times, guys, because through the years, I, I want our people to realize that my role is going to change. See, I work 80 hours a week now, and I love every minute of it. I love this place. I love every blade of grass. I love every stain in the carpet. I just lied. I love everything about this place. I love every person, young or old. I preached in elementary chapel this week, and I think I did probably the best of anybody, I think. I, I, uh, I did. I, pre- I, I did the Lord's Supper for the, for the retirement center yesterday. I, I mean, I, I tell you, I am all over it. I love it. I love it. I love everything about this place. I love this church. I don't have any hobbies. I don't hunt. I don't fish. I don't do my... I, I, work, I, love, I, I live basically here and at home. So if you wonder why I don't have a car, why do I need a car? I live three blocks away from the rest of my life, and the only other place I ever go is San Francisco Bread Company. 
And you can give me a ride there. So, this is my life. But I'm understanding that five grandchildren, that's going to become my life soon. My wife and I are going to be the parents. I mean, we'll have Glow, but we'll be the parents at home with Glow, but that are growing older with less responsibility with the kids. And so maybe we can take a trip, honey. Where do you want to go? It's not so bad, is it? I mean, how am I going to look at life? Am I going to be threatened by the youth of this church? Am I threatened by, by the fact that I'm not going to be as effective in, in a place that I once stood and was really effective? Now, by the way, after I preached this in the first service, I had 10 people say, what, what were you trying to say? Are you retiring? Are you leaving? You know, no, no, don't miss this. I'm, I'm trying to be an example by sharing with you the same feelings that some of you have as we get older. How do we look at that circumstance? Is it, is it a harsh reality that causes us to be negative? Or is it a reality that says, this is a great life. I embrace it, the change, the opportunity, the new future, the new horizons, the pioneering of, of, of a new life with my wife as an older person. This is a good thing. And so I continue to say to everyone here, we must understand that everything in our life, God means it to turn it to something that makes us more like Jesus. Number two, I must focus on the positive in others. I must focus on the positive in others. Now look at this in verse number five, because all of us already know, we've read the whole book, right? We've read the whole letter. We already know that at some point Philemon is going, uh, rather Paul is going to address Philemon in a very honest and truthful way and challenge him. I believe when you're, when you see the good in others first, you're not being negative when you get to correction, you're being challenging. But if you come down on them at first, you're just negative and harsh and ugly and mean-spirited. But when somebody knows you love them, they take it as a challenge. I looked at Chloe today and said, Chloe, listen, you are the best daughter, the most amazing girl. You're beautiful. You're talented. You're incredible. You're every daddy's dream. You're amazing. You did great with that. Great with that. Great with this. Great with that. Hey, sweetheart, I wanted to talk to you about something. I was a little concerned about this situation. I was a little concerned about that outfit. I was a little concerned, whatever it is, that I come and talk to you about. And she's like, oh, yeah, daddy, sure. Yeah, I see that, dad. Yeah, I can work on that. See, it was a challenge. It wasn't a threat. So I see the positive. Let's look at, look, at, look at what Paul did. In verse number five, he says, Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus Christ for all the saints. I hear of your love. Wait a minute. What do you mean his love? He doesn't like Onesimus. Why is Paul talking about his love? Well, obviously he loves some people. Paul decided to see that first. Paul was going to be challenging Philemon, yes, about some weaknesses in his life. But before that, he said, let me tell you some great things that I see going on in your life. People like this are incredibly valuable in your life. And we need to be that for others. How sad that so often, and this is a very important statement that I want to make this morning. And I really wanted to settle in because I believe this. How sad that so often Christians pride themselves in seeing the negatives about people and the faults in others. And they pride themselves in that. I mean, honestly, I am so tired of hearing this. Well, I just see people the way they are. And you're, you're okay with that? That's kind of what you want to do. You, you want to... You just be able to see the negative and identify the faults and the wrong. And, and that's something you're, you're good with. You're, you're good with being that person. Well, I have the gift of discernment. Okay. Since you put it like that, I've got to back off a little. Because I think I have that gift as well. But are you using the gift of discernment in the flesh? Because as I see it, sometimes we brag about our gifts as if, okay, that covers everything, but we use those spiritual gifts in the flesh, and that screws everything up. 
You see, we need people to see error. We need to call sin, sin. But God, help us if it causes us to be the person who is always inspecting the faults and failures of others. We must encourage, support, and recognize that all of us are in process. Everybody in this room is in process. And this community needs us to see them not where they are, but where God is taking them. Oswald Chambers said it like this. I've never met the man that I can despair of when I rightly discern what lies in me apart from the grace of God. And let that sink in. I've never met the man that I can despair of when I rightly discern what lies in me apart from the grace of God. I've got to see people in terms of what God is making them and not what they are. What do you see when you see your husband? Do you see what they are? Because honestly, sometimes we can be rough units. We're not everything we need to be. Or do you see what God is making them? What do you see when you see your wife? Do you see that moment and, and just kind of encapsulate everything they are because of that? Or do you see how God is making them into someone who is going to be a better wife or a better husband? Let's encourage each other in what God is making us. And that must be what Scripture taught in Philippians 1, 6 when it said, I'm sure of this. I'm just sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This past week or two weeks ago, I went to North Carolina to preach for Darren Osborne at Friends Baptist Church. Friends Baptist is somewhat of an old school church. It's kind of looked like we looked maybe seven or eight years ago. All Southern gospel, all hymns. Kind of a stage that looked like our stage seven years ago. Wasn't, wasn't very modern and Man, they're singing these old Southern gospel songs that have been around for 20, 30, 40 years. And I'm up there just singing, man, having a time. Bringing back some memories. I'm just having a good old time. See, nobody has me at those churches unless they're wanting to make progress. Because they know where I'm at. And they know all about what God's done here. So oftentimes, church, what happens is pastors will call me and say, hey, we don't really know how to do some things we'd like to do in our church without upsetting people. And, and, and. And of course, I tell them you're going to upset some people, but if you'll love them and work through it, you can survive. And we talk and, and that's basically what I do. I go preach, but I spend a lot of time with these pastors, helping them to process how they can change and, and work on some things. And they're asking a lot of questions. But you know what I saw when I was there at Friends? I saw a church that was growing. People joined the church that Sunday. They baptized it that Sunday. Their choir sang is old school, but they sang at the top of their lungs. They sang old songs, but they were great songs. They, 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 they were good words. I love it. It was great. I had a great time. Was it my favorite? No. But I decided I'm going to see the positive. And it's still a good church. It's a great church. I'm afraid some of our young people today... If you don't like something, you walk out. If you don't like the choir, you walk out. If you don't like a song, you walk out. Because you see, it's not what you like. And what your problem is, is you don't see the good in some of the old school things that aren't wrong. They're just not fitting into your culture. So would you let us still have a little piece of your culture? Would you be okay? Look, you see what you're looking at? You're looking at a dude try to be cool today. I wore white pants with a stupid blue jacket. In fact, I tried to be cool today. I went to buy a pair of shoes three weeks ago with Scott Mercer. Everybody is saying they love these shoes, Scott, but they weren't the ones I picked out. The ones I picked out, Scott said, no, no, no. No, 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 we ain't getting them shoes. Well, Scott, what's wrong with these shoes? These are great shoes. Preacher, great 30 years ago, you need these. Boy, was he right. Everybody loves these shoes, Scott. I'm cool, man. I'm cool because you're cool. But Scott... Before you make fun of some of my old school ways, before you kind of rib me because I, I kind of like a hymn every now and then, or I, I, I wouldn't even mind if we had a fun Sunday and went back and sang a few Southern Gospel songs just to have fun. I, it wouldn't bother. I, oh, I know it'd just be maybe one Sunday in 10 years these days, but I, 
See the good. Don't get arrogant and cocky and walk out on an older generation that's willing to put up with everything new. And we love it, and we love it that you love it. It's a little loud sometimes, right? It's not as, we're not as comfortable every song, but boy, it sure is encouraging to see so many young people in our church. If you did come Wednesday night, you just saw over 90 young people here. Isn't that great? I saw a lot of good in Friends Baptist Church. Now, I'm not going back to that methodology, but I'm glad Friends is willing to work towards getting where we're at, and while they're getting there, I'm going to sing those songs as loud as I can. I'm not mad at anybody. I'm trying to help everybody so that our church can be more effective in reaching this community. Amen? And so all that to say, do you see the good? Can God give us a humble and tender spirit to every person and be positive and see that we're all progressing and we're all in the process and some are moving super fast and some are moving slower than others, but through it all, can we see the positive? And then number three, and I'm done. I want to focus, and I think Paul taught this. I want to focus on the good that others do and not the wrong. Now, obviously, Philemon was doing something wrong. He had an attitude that was pushing Onesimus away. And Onesimus had an attitude that was like, I don't want to mess with Paul. And, and, and so notice his words here as he writes this letter to Philemon. Verse 5. Verse, uh, excuse me, verse 6. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective. He is preaching or teaching or sharing potential. He's breathing life. He's speaking life into Philemon's life. What a vision to speak into a person's life. I see that sharing your faith is going to become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Paul is writing this letter to help Philemon understand the importance of forgiving Onesimus. Yes, But first, he focuses on the praiseworthy things. But first, he brags on him. But first, he says, you are one of the best things that's ever happened to me. Bro, brother, I love you. You've got tons of potential. People need to hear those words. They need to hear those words. Let me give you the benefits of focusing on the good in people. Number one, it gives you something to enjoy thinking about. You know, I've never understood what profit is it to sit around the table for an hour and just spew out cynical things and negative things and critical things and ugly things. That doesn't make anybody feel better. But when you're, when you sit around the table and say, you know, I was thinking about so-and-so and and about that song this week or about that message or about that conversation or about that house or that car or that outfit or that, and we are speaking Words of encouragement that I, I feel as if it's more enjoyable. That conversation is one I want to be involved in. Number two, it blesses the person and gives that person hope. When you focus on the good in people, it blesses them and gives them hope. And don't you want to be a source of blessing and encouragement to others? One of my most enjoyable things to do is to get here early before the 9 o'clock service. It's harder at 1045, but at 9 o'clock I get here. I try to get to the other about 825, 820. And I love to greet people as they're coming in. And I just, I'm telling you, man, you talk about a life giver. I am speaking life into everybody I see. Every little kid. I mean, it's awesome. I love it. I could, I'm not, I'm almost done. And I don't want to take more time. But there were some really cool things that happened this morning at the 9 o'clock service. Just because I had time to just spend some time with people. I had one, ah, I'm so excited. I wish I could share with you some examples. But honestly, it's 12.05 and I went over this morning. Could, could you just trust me that I'm having a blast giving people hope and speaking life? Well, I tell you what, it's just tell them the truth. You know, it's just the preacher. You know, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. are you lying to people? No, no I'm, I'm telling the truth, just like Paul told the truth about Philemon. Sure, Philemon had some issues. Sure, Paul's going to challenge him in just a moment. But before he does, he speaks life. Number three. It draws others around you instead of repelling them. You know, 
sometimes I think negative people wonder why nobody wants to be around them. And the truth of the matter is, is that if, look, nobody's going to walk up to you and say, you know what? You're negative. They're just not going to show up. They're just going to stay away from you. Oh, they're coming in. I'm going this way. And so you kind of wonder, where is everybody in my life? I used to hang out with them. I used to hang out. Ask yourself this question. Are you being avoided because you just speak negative things all the time? Having a good day? Well, Dr. Sermon? Well, I've heard better. Where's Scott preached this morning? I think preacher does need to retire. You know, he is getting old, bald, and them white pants just don't go with that sucker. And I didn't like his shoes. I don't know what he was talking about. <laughs> Got to be something good you can find. Got to be something. couple things first and then lay into me. But, but, but maybe you're repelling others. Number four, it's consistent with God's view of his people. If you look at God's view of his people, I mean, hanging on the cross... Spittle coming down his face, crown of thorns in his head, speared side, nails in his feet and hands. Father, forgive them. It's all right. You don't have to send the 10,000 angels. Don't, don't, no fire from heaven. I'm good. They're worth saving, God. They're just confused. I love them. If Jesus on the cross could see the positive in that think we could see the positive in others it's a great way to affect your community and your family and your church so if seeing the good is so good man pastor all right all right well maybe i'll try it if seeing the good is so good then why aren't more people doing it because it requires a forgiveness that they just won't give that's the problem That's why people keep moving, moving churches, moving families, moving from one wife and husband to the next, moving children, leaving the church and walking away from their families and never coming back. And and, and that's why there's just no lasting relationships these days. Everything's just sort of microwave until you make a mistake and then you're like, I'm going to find me another girlfriend. That's the story of the Capaci marriage. The story of the Capaci marriage is forgiveness. There's no enduring relationships without it. That's the story of gospel light. That's why you've only had one pastor for 27 years. In two weeks, it'll be 27 years. Can you believe it? It's because we learn to forgive. That's the story of Dave and Sonia Chittum. That's why there's still a few charter members left. Not many, but there's a few. That's why Tony and Marsha are still here. Why haven't they left? Have they, have, they, have they been offended? Yeah. Many times. Really? Oh, yeah. Just ask them. <laughs> so you guys ever been mad at the preacher? Oh, yeah, a few times. But I mean, you know. Let me tell you, let me tell you some things about my preacher. That's what they'll say. I know. I know them. And that's why if you ask me about them, well, don't expect negative. I... I have to talk a whole lot of positive before I could ever get to the negative. And by the time I talk so much positive, you're going to walk away and say, oh, I've heard enough. <laughs> and I'll never get to the negative. I'm simply saying, church, if we would learn to forgive like Christ forgave us, we could speak life into this community. So how do we do this? Let me give you a plan. The worship team can come up. Here's my plan and I'm done. It's a verse. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's on the screen. Would you look at it with me? We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed. I don't know why she died, Scott. I can't figure it out. Why would God do that? She's 32 years old, two little kids. But I'm not going to despair. We're persecuted. Man, it stinks sometimes. This world can sure be cruel. And man, my boss raked me over the coals. I didn't really deserve it. I didn't. 
I got falsely acute. Man, it is tough sometimes, but I'm not struck down. Let's go. I'm ready. Or rather, I'm not forsaken. And I'm struck down, but I'm not destroyed. And here's why. Because I'm always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may be manifested in my body. You see, this really all comes back to what Jesus did for me on the cross. And because he died, his life is in me. And so I'm living the life of Jesus on this earth. And if you follow Jesus, he spoke life to the woman at the well. He found the positive in everybody. He saw the good in all the sinners that lived back in those days. And he says, my life is in you now. And I want you to do the same thing. We're going to sing in just a moment. Christ is my reward in all of my devotion. There's nothing in this world that can ever satisfy. Through every trial, my soul will sing. No turning back. I've been set free. Hallelujah. Through every trial. Through every trial. God is on the throne. God's in control. And I choose to see, even in the circumstance of getting old, I'm going to have time in my life. Oh, I won't be up here too much longer, I'm sure. I mean, you know, I don't want to outdo my stay, but I will tell you this. I'll give it my best while I'm here, and I'll know when it's time to step down. And I'll be the biggest cheerleader that pastor ever had. And I'll be the best janitor this church has ever had. Can't push aside, buddy. I'm taking over. I'm clean like nobody's business. You say, really? Yeah, why not? I'm not too big to realize that I could be a doorkeeper in the house of my God and not dwell in the tents of wickedness. You see, it's just in all how you look at it. I don't have to be the biggest and the best at something for my whole life. I'm going to choose to see the circumstances as God's way of making me more like Jesus. And hopefully, by the time I see him face to face, maybe, just maybe, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father.